out to the uh, Azusa Now event. Let's see, that was in, uh, let me just check my watch. I got to watch my time. Okay, that, uh, that, that's it. That's what I took. And those little lights, those, those used to be uh, candles in the days when uh, uh, Billy Graham spoke there, like in 1964. He, he, had, he spoke to like 134,000 people there. And they used candles in those days. But now they're using cell phones. <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I went out there. I felt like the Lord was saying I was to go. And I want to give you a report. I've divided my report into three stages. First, kind of a description and background. Second, a nutshell summary of my impression of it. And then finally, I'd like to tell you about the three impartations and pray for you. So the background has to do with, it, w it was commemorating um, the date was chosen as April 9th, commemorating the uh, Azusa Street revival that, uh, that started around the date of, of the 9th of April in uh, 1906. Um, I heard about this from Lou Engel when he spoke in uh, Lakeland. He had a, and he gave, he said that he, he, he Lou Engel has been leading uh, revivals for the nation of prayer. Could somebody turn the lights on out there because I just see those big lights. Maybe that's what that's for. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, um, Lou Engels, if you don't know about it, probably most of you do, but he, God's been using him for like 16 or 20 years, well, many years, uh, in the praying and fasting for America. And he's, he, and the, he's kind of turned, God's kind of turned up the heat in recent years so that now what's going on is, um, is people, a lot of people are doing a lot of fasting. And he does a lot of 40-day water-only fasts. So this event was preceded by a lot of prayer and fasting. And when he told um, Bill Johnson about it, Bill Johnson has a large church in uh, Redding, California that has a school of ministry that has 4,000 students in it, um, and other ministries. When they heard about it, they decided to throw all their weight into this event. So in addition to that one ministry of Bill Johnson's and all these others, like Bill, Bill Johnson says between three and 4,000 students from his school of ministry were there ministering for people, praying for the sick throughout. Then all these other ministries came, and they were doing different things. And um, I went, I joined up when I got there with a, a, a church, some people from a church in Dallas where we used to go in Cedar Hill, Texas. And in my room, we had two black ladies and two white ladies. And in each of the two beds, there was one black and one white. And I liked that. That was really good. And, you, and it rained. And so instead of there being, a, being over 100,000 as they'd expected, they only had between 65 and 70,000. But still, that's a pretty cool worship worship session. And, uh, but I knew it was going to rain, so I brought, I, with a little help from some of you, I brought not only a poncho for myself, but I managed to pick up about three or four others for passing out. So the person in front of me and on the side, both sides of me were taken care of. I didn't have to feel guilty. And, um, and it, it was intense. I'll tell you what, it was intense. At the beginning, Lou Engel, it took an hour and a half from, for me to get in. It took some people two and a half hours to get in because the because when you get that many people trying to go through security checks, there was a lot. But he, he, he said right away, he says, come on, get in, get settled. You know, people were talking. He settled them right in. And we, he said, this is, a, this is a solemn assembly and a prayer meeting. It's not a, uh, um, a festival. And if it rains, we stay. No matter what, we stay. We got, you know, 
basically were saying, we got business to do with God. Let's get going. And um, so let me proceed now to the nutshell. If I was to put in a nutshell what happened that day, I would have to say uh, God and man did some business that day. Um, and if we, you were to ask me, well, what business? I mean, what was each one's top top agenda, top item on each person's agenda. What was the top item on God's agenda? I would have to say, no, let's start with man's. Man's, what would the top agenda on, top item on man's agenda be? It would have to be this. Man is asking for, no small thing, um, another great awakening that goes global. Yes. And what's God asking for? (laughs) I would have to say, based on all that I saw and the impressions on my heart, I would have to say it was, Father, forgive them. That is the one thing that came. I mean, everything was powerful. Everything moved forward. Everything was rich. But that one thing was the strongest. That was the one thing. And let me just go into that a bit. Um, I think that the leaders must have had an idea ahead of time what God's agenda was going to be because they prepared well. And they had different types of people that were prepared to do identificational repentance with one another. And they had, uh, for example, American Indians and the whites that came into America. They had Hispanics and the Anglos. They had the blacks and the whites. They had the uh, Messianic Jew and uh, Arab... uh, Arabian, not Arabian, um, you know, somebody who speaks Arabic. And they had um, uh, Armenian and a Turk. I mean, you name it, they pretty much had it, old and young. Different denominations. They had the Catholics there sent from a Pope Francis. He was really into this. He sent the, the, an envoy from Rome. They were raising their hands and they were worshiping. Then they got down and they kissed the feet of Lou Engel and repented for the uh, allowing walls to be built up between their denomination and others. And Lou was reciprocal. I mean, he was the one that people usually repented to. But anyway, but the most powerful thing had to be these black ministers that got up and they said, and I wish there's some more black people here because I don't like just to say it to the whites because it was the most powerful thing. He said... He said that um, the blacks, he he said, you're going to have to get rid of your white issues if you're going to move on with God. And they told about a dream, and they showed a video of somebody explaining a dream that he had. It had to do, I guess Lou Engel was actually with him in the flesh. They were together. He was explaining the dream to him. But it had to do with the days of Martin Luther King, and he saw a white uh, bag that you you were, were carry for a trip and it had black handles and they prayed about the interpretation of it and it was that if you want to g- move on with God you've got to get rid of your white baggage and meaning uh, as whites we really feel feel bad you know that that you know well, it's hard to explain but in any case the word was for the blacks at this point not that we had plenty of stuff to repent of I'll tell you most of it was whites you know but this one thing was theirs. This was their thing. And these were black ministers, and they were speaking to their own people. And they showed the little clip about the white bag. They said, you've got to get over your issues. And then they showed, and this was really, this really gripped me with tears. They started to show like slides, one after the other, of cases of genocide 
that we all, some we haven't even heard of, they showed the Holocaust, you know, see the, you see the skulls lined up, and you show Rwanda and, and the Hootsies and the Tootsies, and then you show the, uh, how the, um, the um, Japanese, you know, the, the, the Japanese went in and they were trying to, to wipe out the Koreans and the Chinese at a certain point. They had one up there for that, and this just went on and on. The Armenians and the Turks, the Turks persecuted the Armenians and genocide, you know, drove them out to where the Chechens could kill them. And it, and it, was, it goes on and on, and it was really gripping that humanity has, has treated one another that bad for so long. And then you, the cry from the song came up, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This was Jesus' cry from the cross. In fact, I'm just wondering, he was, just before he died, he was saying, Father, forgive them. And, and it's like there was a business going on in the Godhead that day. It may have been right at that moment when he said that, that the Father reciprocated and gave the forgiveness, and that was possibly when our salvation business was done. That was the point, because he was totally paid for, and then it's finished. So that when you think about how, how important this is, that business was done in the Godhead over the matter of forgiveness, you've got to know that this person that we're in union with is big on forgiveness. Now, this, has, this is flip, flip side to it. We can be very assured of our forgiveness in him because when you think that he's not just the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, these are all I am things. I am these things. But you might have to include somehow I am forgiveness. I am the forgiveness in the same way as he is the truth. So we can be very sure of our forgiveness because that's part of his divine nature and character. But the flip side is what, was Im is what would be important here. I mean, this is, this is I, I'm thinking now some stuff. This, he, Lou Engel didn't say this, but this person we're in union with, you've got, you got to know who you're in union with because two, two can't walk together unless they be agreed. We have to forgive. And we have to forgive like Jesus forgave. I mean, 100% total. And, and in the clip, you're going to see how John Wimber was even chided by God for thinking things. Because, you know, Jesus said if you think lust in your mind, that's like doing it, right? So he wouldn't even let John Wimber think bad things about another denomination. And that, that comes out. They, um, they did a lot of, uh, they did a bit of a historical review to show where we came from to give us an idea of the prophetic future of what's happening. And so, um, that's, how are we doing on time? Okay, we got a couple of minutes. Um, maybe I should just um, pray for the impartation, then we'll see the clip, and then you tell us when, you know, the clip's about three minutes. The impartations, it started off before, the day before the event started, there was like 20,000 Koreans walking through the, the building, praying, paying over all the bleachers. It wasn't a building, it was an open-air stadium. He, they played over all the, the bleachers, and then the, the morning of the event, the first people we saw when we finally got in was these uh, about 20 Korean ministers with their special robes on, and they said God had given them as a nation a special gift of praying and fasting, now, I don't know if you're going to want this impartation or not, but this is what they gave us. They gave to America what they had been given by God, the ability to do extended fasts, to do praying and fasting at a higher level. 
The next impartation came with uh, Todd White. They had invited him to come and pray over the people for a healing prayer anointing. In other words, not to receive it, but to give it. That impartation went out that when we go out in the streets to pray for people, we'd be like him. And he's, he prays for everybody everywhere, and they get major healings. And the last thing I would say would be an understanding of the prophetic flow of what's going on. And I would guess Jack Hayford gave us a little insight into this. He didn't do it as a, as a uh, specific impartation, but he showed us where we were at prophetically. But, but this whole Azusa thing showed us where we were at prophetically. And we're at the verge of probably the, 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 the one billion harvest of souls. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over you, and then we'll see the clip. So, Father, um, this, this, uh, this impartation and this anointing is not just for me. I know that in the days when, of Mount Sinai, when you poured out your spirit upon the 70 elders, and they all prophesied, there was two guys left in the camp. For some reason, they couldn't make it, but they were part of the body, and they got it too. They were prophesying in the camp. And in the days of King David, when... The spoils were brought in. Those that stayed at home couldn't go. They got it, too. And not everybody here has been able to go, but you've sent one from here and one from there, and we bring it back. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would release the prophetic understanding of where we are at so that we would be encouraged, Lord, that we would see what you're doing, and we would see the great harvest. We maybe even see that as a fulfillment of the last of the feasts of Israel to know where we're at and to get in the flow with it. Like some Henry Blackaby said, Lord, when you want to, if you want to have success, find out what God's doing and do it with him. And finally, Lord, for the prayer and the fasting, because Lou Engel passed out that, said, that, where do we go from here? He says, get my book. I got the book. It's about praying and fasting. Lord, it looks like we're not going to be sitting around. We're going to be working, but we know where we're going. Father, would you release all of these impartations on these people. As one, we enter into your move for the last days. In Jesus' name. Okay, now as you watch the clip, go ahead and soak up more from the impartation. Look for the forgiveness. Look for the strength uh, of, of Lou. And um, I'll just leave it at that. Chris Berglund, just come. JT, you going to be... Little bit of sun, huh? Just wave to the sun. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I want to just continue. If we're serious about revival, can you just hang with me? There was a man in the Jesus movement. There was a man in the Jesus movement who was crying out to two o'clock in the morning one night for revival. God, give us revival. And God spoke to him. Call the youth pastor that you wounded, that you've never reconciled with. Call him. And the man said to God, I can't call him. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And God says, if you're serious about the prayer you've been praying for revival, you'll call him. I want to just say right now, he said the revival that happened two months later actually began with a phone call all across this place. You should take out your phones and your th and maybe begin to text people that you've got to get right with because the Bible says you don't bring your offering. You don't bring your offering to the altar if you've got a brother that's got an odd against you. Come on, let's get serious about revival. Don't look at me right now. Right now, who have you not forgiven?
I had a dream five nights in a row. I mean, five times in one night. Jeremiah 34, 8, Jeremiah 34, 8, Jeremiah 34, 8. I woke up and the scripture was, and they made a covenant to let go of their slaves. Do you know when you hold someone in unforgiveness, you hold them as slaves and you yourself get into slavery? Right now, who do you got to forgive? We might as well go home today if you're not willing to forgive everyone. Come on, you got to hear me here. If he wants unity of the body of Christ, I've been making phone calls getting right with people. Let's do the Bible. Tell them the story, John. In uh, 1986, uh, 1987, I was in a class with John Wimber, and uh, he was doing a class on signs and wonders, and he was doing a segment on healing, and he was talking about the great healing movement with great leaders like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland. And during that night, that Monday night, he had a negative thought in his heart when he was sharing on this movement. And he came back the next Monday night. And this is in a time when John Wimber was praying for two or three or 400 people a week that were getting healed. He said that week from Monday night until Saturday, nobody got healed. And he went to the Lord on Saturday and said, Lord, why isn't anybody getting healed? And the Lord said to him, because you've spoken against my anointed. You had a thought against my anointed. So on Monday night, he came back to the class and repented to the class and asked for forgiveness. When he did that, that week, another two to 400 people were healed in his ministry. But he had spoken something. He had thought a negative word. And uh, there was a prophet that was asked why he had such an extraordinary walk with the Lord and what was the secret of his walk. And he said to them, when you cease to hurt people with your words and your thoughts, you'll enter into the river of love. All across this place, I want you just to get, just to sit down, close your eyes. We're so far behind in our schedule, but I want you to sit down right now. Close your eyes. All of you just sit down. And I want you to begin to ask God, who have I not forgiven? That we are dividing on the grounds of denominations. We say I'm of Paul and I'm, he's of Apollos. I'm of this group and that group. And, and, and Paul says, are you not carnal when you make divisions on the boundaries of doctrines and not the unity of the Spirit? Don't look at me right now. I want you to ask God, who do I got to call when I leave this place? Please, everybody here, stop the music. Just stop the music. Deal with God right now. Who haven't you forgiven? Because this is the year of Jubilee. There is going to be a release of such forgiveness. If you're holding bitterness with race, you've got to let it go. This may be the most important moment. Those brothers would say anybody can celebrate, but who are you bitter to? Sorry to be so intense. Come, Holy Spirit. Our tongues, the Bible says, are like a flame of fire. They light forest fires. And we're accused. We have joined with the accuser of the brethren. The enemy that was supposed to be thrown down 
We actually are a part of his army when we're accusing the brother. Who are you accusing in your hearts? Close your eyes. Ask God. Because today we want to begin to break the power of the accuser of the brother. All I got to say is we need the faith movement. Because we need faith. We need the evangelical movement. Because the evangelical movement put Billy Graham in here in 1963 with 134,000 preaching. Don't tell me that man wasn't spirit-filled in our arrogance. We may be missing the body of Christ. How many of you are hearing that you need to make phone calls? Raise your hands. All over this place. Why don't you just stand? It's okay. I've been doing it for weeks. Just stand all across this place. You, you know you got to get right with somebody. This is the love of Jesus. He, wanted, he doesn't want a divided body. Who else needs to deal with this issue in their life? You got bitterness in your heart, unforgiveness, because the great pain. All right, well. you can just move on from that. <laughs> God, we come to you as people gathered here as, as your body. And we say, open our hearts, open our eyes to, to the things that we need to let go of. How can we move forward if we have bitterness and hatred towards other people? And so, God, uh, let it begin here in us. God, we, we thank you that, that there are so many people that are in your kingdom, that there are so many people that love you, and that as we look at the people around us every day, that we, would, we might typically say something negative about, God, I pray that, that you would spark in our minds and in our hearts, uh, God, that they are your creation and that you love them. God, people that are, are confused, people that, um, I was thinking about this morning, people that are in um, ISIS, and, and, and typically what we would say we would, that we would hate them, God. We, we pray that, that you would come. God, would we, would we spend as much time praying for these people as we do talking about them? So, God, give us a heart that runs after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing that. That was good stuff. Um, what we're going to do now, we have a little card. It's funny, Lou said, we're running behind schedule. I was like, so are we, Lou. All right, um, it's all good, though. All right, um, we have a card here, communication card. It's in the seat next to you. 
Um, basically, we take this, sell your information to websites. No, we don't do that. We really don't. <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, if you want to fill this out on the back, uh, it helps us get a hold of you. It's going to give you a way that we can communicate with you. And if you put don't communicate with us, then we won't. Um, and then what are you interested in? Then prayer requests and praise reports. And you can fill that out. We're going to uh, take a couple minutes and um, to fill those out. So go ahead and do that. We're going to take 120 ticks to do it, okay? All right. I think we have some fresh tunes that are coming on. Oh, good stuff. start filling out their card faster when the rhythm got going. Okay, good stuff. All right, we're going to collect those now and uh, go on. Oh, yeah, pass them to the center, please. All right, we want to take a moment real quick, and um, we got a couple prayer things um, we want to pray about. Explain what's happening. You can go ahead and just say it. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, good morning. My dear friend, Bea Sharp, she has a three-year-old son who is going in for brain surgery tomorrow at 1030 our time. He's been diagnosed with a chari malformation. It's basically the brain is going to be coming out the form of magma forming magma at the hole in the, the base of your skull, and um, he just needs prayers for that. And uh, another thing is she, her faith in God is so strong that she is thankful that he was diagnosed with this when he did, when he was, because her, uh, her husband's in the Navy, and he was thinking about getting out, but now um, because of this diagnosis, that he, he's going to stay in for future medical things for her son. And it is a hereditary thing, so she might, she's worried about her other son having, having it as well. So she just needs prayers, especially tomorrow. She, she's worried that anything could go wrong. But she does have one of the top neurologists, our neurosurgeons in San Diego, um, that's going to be performing the surgery. Well, well, God, you know what's going on. I just pray that you would just have your way. Uh, tomorrow, 1030, you're there, God. And I pray that you would just guide the hands of the neurosurgeon. God, I pray that you would just um, help everything to go well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I want to uh, talk uh, today out of uh, Matthew 14. 
Um, it was funny. I put on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can do that with one button. And um, so I just took a picture of my preparation stuff. And, and it said, uh, quote, heart failure, which was the name of the sermon. And some people were like, you can do this. And I was like, no, I'm not about to die. Um, that's the name of the thing. <laughs> so I thought it was funny. And then this girl that I work with says, hey, I, uh, you know, I had a dream about you. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, um, you called me and you just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm having a heart attack. Everything's cool. Just calling to let you know. And hung up, I guess, in the dream. So I was like, oh. Cool. So, I'm doing okay, I think. Uh, Where we left off, the last time I spoke was Mark 6. Uh, We were at uh, Jesus Just Fed the 5,000. And um, before that, John the Baptist had been killed. Uh, Jesus and the disciples came together. Um, They traveled to Bethsaida. And then now at there, he's going to feed the 5,000. And so, that's where we're at. Um, it, the Sea of Galilee, can you put up that pic for me? Just to, again, just kind of reiterate where we are. Um, oh, it's the other one, bro. I'm sorry. That's the one I named Sea of Galilee, and that's, there we go. Okay. Thank you. All right. So we're in that area. Um, all right. So check it out. So we're going to talk here out of Matthew 14. All right. This is right after uh, this happens, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And so he is going to dismiss the disciples. He says, immediately after this, we're starting in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he went and sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up to the hills to be alone. And so the language here, insisted, means that he made them. Right? And we don't know, you know, I, I can only imagine, you know, is that you went out, you, you were able uh, to heal people, believe the message, um, you came back together, you feed the 5,000 out of very little supplies, and Jesus is like, you must leave. And they're like, dude, like, can we hang out, like, talk about what the heck just went on, okay? And he's like, no, you got to go, all right? You gotta go. So he sends them out, and they're they're in the um, they're in the boat. They're crossing back over the Sea of Galilee, <laughs> all right. And there they are, all right. So they're in the. Let's just say they're in the middle of the lake right now. Can you see them? I can't either. So here is the deal. Um, they're going across this lake, and Jesus goes to be alone. And we see that this is a pattern. Uh, in Jesus' life, to be alone. And, and sometimes we think of this as a, as a negative phrase, but, uh, you know, to be alone for some of us is a very scary thing, right? Um, but this is a good thing. And what, I, what I'm thinking here is it's okay to be a loner sometimes. It's good. I've been in situations where I'm at the house, no kids are there, and the clock is doing its little thing. And I go take the battery out. Because I'm like... Nothing, all right? And, and so, and it's good to be alone and, alone and alone with a purpose. And so Jesus had a purpose every time he went to go alone. He, he's doing business 
with the father. And so he goes to be alone, and, and he's doing business. And um, the only thing I think is if Jesus does it, and he's our model, then why don't we do it? All right? And uh, it's just, it's kind of like, I didn't know one of my students was going to be here today. I'm all nervous. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's kind of, this is one of my kids here. Sarah, I'm going to embarrass you. Hello. All right. So, but I tell them all the time, and she, now there's someone here to verify, all right? Uh, I tell them all the time uh, that if professionals are doing it, you should do it too. Now, I'm telling, like, this is the kind of stuff in production that I'm talking about. Monitoring audio. Now, you would think this would be fairly easy to do. Hey, guys, one of the major components of video production is audio. The other is the video. But if I have a video and they're recording me right now and this mic Thank you. All right. All right. Paybacks. All right. Um, so, <laughs> uh, okay. So, but it's, it's simple things. What does that require? Headphones. Okay. They use that. I promise you. You should see the people that have, they, the people that do audio professionally, they have like this gear and then headphones and then they're, they monitor it. All right? And now there's a two-part component to monitoring audio. It's visual and it is auditory. All right? So I'm watching the audio bars, so make sure it's not peaking. And I'm listening that to make sure I'm getting clean audio. This is a simple concept. Correct. How many people do not do that? A lot. All right? A lot. And so here's what I have always with kids in my classes is this. I have kids that want to make a great movie. They want to make it, okay? Now, whatever that great movie might be, for them, that might be 10 minutes, all right? Uh, tw 20 minutes. 90% of them don't want to pay attention to the little things, all right? And it's the little things that add up to great things. And so when we talk about the little things, and I don't know why we think of these as little things, such as worship, such as prayer, such as reading the Bible. If we don't do these things, we're not going to get an end product that we want. All right? So we can, in other words, we can talk a lot about God. We can say, we want to see God move. We want to we see the mighty move of God. We, we want to forgive. But unless I forgive, and unless I know who God is, I, I cannot see this happen. In fullness. And so it's, it's like the feeling when we walk out of a great movie. Who's a movie fan in here? I love movies. Jen does not. I've told you before, Jen has one genre of movie. That is chick flick. Uh, she fell asleep on one of our first dates to a movie drive-in in Black Hawk Down. I look over, I'm like, you know, <laughs> driving, I look up, what are you, okay, she's out cold. Um, that normally is in any movie, uh, Jen's sleep time begins in opening credits, okay, 
for me, this is why I go with, to movies with other people, because they like them. Jacob, who has recently selfishly had a child, and we haven't been going to the movies as much. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no, he's one of my go-to dudes, though, to go to a movie. In our lives right now, we go about once every at least six months, all right? But one of the movies that we went to together uh, was Interstellar. And Interstellar was like mind, like we walked out of the theater, okay, got to the car. We had not said a word to one another because our minds were still wrapping around this concept of this movie. Um, you know, it was just about time and space and all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, I felt like if we would have said something, we would have been, it would have been awkward because we probably both would have started crying, walking out of the theater, walking to the car, like, <laughs> you know, it gets worse, I think, when you have kids. And this movie was about this, you know, dad and this daughter, and you're like, <laughs> okay. And then, um, so we, we kept it silent, but the movie was fantastic. And here's what, this is the point I'm trying to make is this. That movie just wasn't good. I hate when people say, hey, that movie was good. What made it good? Oh, it was just good. You know, or, or it was awful. What about it? Oh, I, I just didn't like it. That's horrible, all right? And so we need to say, okay, what made it good? Well, the story was written well. I don't know how he wrote it. I, my mind was blown. The filming was awesome. Uh, the music went well. The, the effects were amazing. And so these components, the little things, and how, how do we know that they're little things? Because at the ending credits, how many, have you stuck around for them? Okay? It doesn't say, all right, one person's name, the production company, see you, have a good one. Okay? It is a multitude, literally, of people that come across. When your name is this big, that's a lot of people. All right? And it's three rows across. There were a lot of little things that made that movie an amazing movie, all right? And so it's the same with us. As we go through life, we oftentimes focus on the big picture instead of focusing on the little things. And so I've discovered that through um, observation and through living life is, look, we got we to gotta worry about the little things. Uh, in our faith, we have to worry about the stuff that, that's fundamental, uh, prayer and and fasting and and worshiping and reading scripture. You can read a lot of stuff if you're not reading scripture. Though you're, what are you doing? That's fundamental. It should be scripture and then other stuff. But the priority is scripture. And, and rarely, I would say, rarely do you hear somebody on their deathbed talking about, oh, I wish I would have taken that trip. It's oftentimes, man, I, I wish I would have hugged this person more. I wish I would have called this person. I wish I would have done the little things that amount to big things. And so Jesus, I'm, I know I'm taking a lot of time on this, but Jesus, I think that it's very important that when Jesus goes to be alone, he's going with a purpose. It's not just to be alone. He's going to be alone with God, and he's going to talk things out and work things out with him. Well, meanwhile, uh, Jesus is having this time with God 
out on the Sea of Galilee, things are insane. All right, some 3.5 miles away, Jesus is up on a mountaintop with God having this experience, and the disciples are out on a boat being tossed and turned. So I want you to, let's go there for a second. I want you to kind of get this in your mind. You're in this boat. It's violently rocking back and forth. I went on a fishing trip one time. Dude, ser- when you look at your boat, which, which, you, which, you, which you, th- you left the dock, and now you're 25, 30 miles out, and you're like, constantly, and you're like, is this going to stop? I'll go to the middle of the boat. It'll be better. Mistake. All right? Stay where you are. All right? Okay, right overboard. Okay, so we're violently rocking back and forth. Heavy waves are all around us. All right? And even the waves are coming into the boat. At this point, you're soaking wet. Wind is swirling around you. Rowing is of no use because the more you row, you're just getting more tired. You're not actually going anywhere. So now you're worn out above all these things. And then let's go ahead and put the cherry on top and let's see a ghost. Okay? What the heck? Okay? Okay? Are you been out of shape? Has anybody been out of shape with me? All right, I'm worried right now, all right? Uh, okay, anyways. So... Um, he went out. So Jesus goes out and approaches him. Clearly, it was not a ghost. Okay, spoiler alert. Um, it was not a ghost. It was Jesus. You know, he did, but he was alone. He and now he knew this was going on. But he didn't go until his appointed time. This is Jesus, though. Think about it. Right? They're going to stone Jesus to death. I did. I don't know how he did it. What did he do? Like. <laughs> You know, when he got out, they're going to stone Jesus, and and then he's gone because it wasn't his appointed time yet. What do you do, you know? I couldn't imagine being in a crowd where you just slip away, okay? But he did. It wasn't his time. So he goes out, and when it's time, and he goes out, he walks on the water. Remember, they're about three and a half miles away. He walks on the water out there, and he says this in verse 27, Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I want to spend a little time on that language there. When he says this, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. This language is the same as saying, I am is here. And so the significance of that, when we go back to Exodus, uh, the 15th uh, verse of Exodus 3 is Moses is saying, well, if I go back, I need to tell them a name to the Israelites. I can't just go back. And God says, I am who I am. And so when we think about this, this is my eternal name, my name that will be remembered for all generations. So when Jesus makes this statement, it wasn't simply a statement of, Hey, you know, pat on the back. He's saying, I am the eternal one that controls everything is here. Take courage. And so that statement is more than just, it's okay. It is, I have everything under control. 
Now, we don't know, um, we know Peter. Peter's a little off the charts. I mean, if we're going to be honest, right? You think, you think about him. Think about, he, I'd have loved to hang out with that dude. I think he was a wild man. Like, <laughs> wow, okay, my kind of dude. And so he, he says, uh, Lord, if it's really you, let me, let me come. Tell me to come, walking on the water. And so we might initially look at this, we might say, wow, this, this dude, what a guy. What a guy, man. What a faithful follower. How brave to get out of the boat. I know I wouldn't have. The storm's still going on here, okay? Uh, but then let's analyze the situation. It was really cool what happened, but let's analyze his actions. See, no matter how cool it was, it ended up being a lesson in Peter's faithlessness. Why did he get out of the boat? Why did he have to ask, Lord, if it's really you? Then I'll get out of the boat. Why didn't he hop out of the boat? He didn't have to ask. Why didn't he just jump out of the boat, go meet him? See, oftentimes and throughout my life, I've looked at Peter as, man, this, that was heroic. It was stupid because he didn't have faith, right? Think about it for a second. And immediately he looks around, he focuses on the situation and begins to sink. And now I'm thinking Jesus is a bodybuilder because Jesus picks him up. They got in the boat. I'm thinking, how did all that? <laughs> Chucked him over like a hook shot. I don't know what it looked like, all right? But he gets out of the boat, and he begins to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus. And, man, Jesus replies to him. He says, and I'm not trying to be tough on Peter, but Peter, Jesus looks at him and says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And, and I wonder, are we not the same way? In the middle of life circumstances, do we forget to take heart? See, because what Peter had there, it was just simple. It was heart failure. He did. I mean, we see it over and over again in the Scripture. Take heart. The enemy is yours. You will conquer the enemy. We see that again and again. We, we see it where God is continually telling people, take heart. The victory is yours. And so, in the middle of our life, do we forget what God looks like? Do we forget that God is, I am, the eternal one that is right here with us? Are we so caught up in our situation that we uh, forget to turn to God? That we rely so much on ourselves that, for answers that in, only in desperate times do we turn to God. Do we go after God with a little faith? And I know it says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move, tell a mountain to move and it'll go and be thrown into the sea. I get that. I also know that Peter sank and Jesus said, you have little faith. Okay? I don't think that was a, Peter had the faithlessness. The mustard seed talks about faith in God. And, and so... Do we have enough faith just to get out of the boat? 
sometimes. And we begin to walk and we experience heart failure. We give up because we think God is not with us. And so we begin to sink into our situations. And, and just a assurance, the situations of life will not go away. It's continually going to be something going on, right? And I think part of it is, and I, I learned this from one of my good friends, Greg Mays. He said this to me. He said, you know, in a situation, you can sit there and, and, and something goes wrong. You can sit there and, and, and talk about to death why am I here in this situation? Or you can immediately say, God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? And how can I move forward with you? And so we, can, we could sit and sulk, or we could say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing through this? I know that you are faithful through the ages. And right now in my situation, you are faithful. And you will answer uh, when I cry out to you. And so the beauty of this passage and the passage that, that, that continue on, and, and as we see through the Gospels, is this, that, that even though there was faithlessness there, I guess that makes sense, all right, there was a lack of faith there, they land on the shore, Jesus' ministry continues. Now at that point in the boat, they realize in unison that you are the son of God, all right? Now, he's already done some crazy cool stuff. And then they're like, hey, you are the son of God. He wasn't mad. He wasn't bitter. Here's what he said. You have a lack of faith. Now, let's land here, and we're going to do some ministry. And we're going to keep doing this ministry. Matter of fact, you're going to deny me, but later on. You know, but because of what you said, that you indeed are the Son of God, this is the rock that I'm going to build my church on. You know, God wants to use us. Um, God loves each one of us. And, and so the question that begs to be asked is this. Are we willing to stick with Christ with a deep-seated faith through the tough times, through the good times, through doubt and through revelation, through health and through sickness, through financial woes and financial successes, through pain and through joy? Are we willing to walk with Jesus no matter what circumstances may look like around us? I wonder if Peter would have hopped out of the boat if it was calm without asking. If the water was glass, would he have just got out and walked and walked all the way to Jesus? Or did the storm take his mind off of Jesus? Just a thought. See, because it's pretty easy to follow God when everything's going good. Oh, God, you're so faithful. I have a lot of money in my bank account. You're so good. God, I have nothing. What are you doing? Okay? All right. Um, so I'm going to read this, and then uh, we'll be good. We have to see that we know a God that is faithful a God that knows us, a God that sees us in our time of need, a God that has not forgotten about us, but rather has written a future for us, a God that lifts us up when we are down, a God that keeps us humble 
a God of grace and mercy. The same God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush is the same God that approached the disciples and gently reminded them that I am is here. And is the same God that would say to us right now, I am is here. And he would say to the world that desperately needs Jesus, yes, that we would say, I know I am. Look at what he's done in my life. And our mission statement here is loving God and loving people. But this is a mission statement that must be lived out. We must rely fully on God. And we must extend the same grace that has been extended to us, to the people that surround us. In Psalm 73, 26, it says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Everybody stand with me. Feel comfortable, put your hands up just like you're receiving a gift or something like that. May God be our portion. May we not rely on our strength, but rather be bound to the heart and strength of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all of our days. And if you would, say amen with me. Join hands across the aisle. Just a clue, we're going to do this a lot. In coming up months. Right? I feel it's important that we reach across the aisle to people that maybe we don't know. You know, that we contact people. We say, hey, you know what? We're in this together. And so when we do this, it's not just going to become rote. I want it to be something that's significant. That when we gather together here, we are a body. That we're here to be encouraged by one another. And so pray with me. God, you reign. You rule. You are. I am. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are in control of every situation that we're in, both good and bad. God, and what we want to pray for today is an impartation of the Holy Spirit. God, like we've never seen before. And we don't want it just for goosebumps and just for feel goods or anything that would be self-serving to us, God. We want it for a people that need you. God, there's a lot of stuff going on, and you know it. And what's our attitude going to be towards it? The stuff that you do, God, would you help us to embrace it? The lives that seem so far away, would you help us to love them? Would you open our eyes to see the people around us for who they are? That they're your creation. And God, I know as a person that messes up on the daily, that it's, sometimes it's hard. But God, open our eyes to the reality of your forgiveness. God, that we could move on, that we would con- not just continue making the mistakes, but rather we would turn to you. God, that when we get out of a boat, 
to follow you. It's not a faithless walk, but it's a walk that we would continue to walk, that we would not sink. But God, if we do, that the people around us, immediately around us now, would be able to lift us up. God, that we would walk together and we proclaim this day that this city is yours. We proclaim this day that this church is yours, that the greater Lakeland Church is yours. God, we pray that people would see through us their destiny in Jesus Christ. God, that we would be living epistles. God, that we would make a difference in the people around us. And when we screw up, which we're going to, God, that we would just know that you are in control and that you are a God of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so, God, we thank you that you're in control. And we pray that you would move mightily in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.